Hey friend, welcome to the A Wife Like Me podcast. I'm Amanda Davison, the founder here at A Wife Like Me. And if you've been around for any amount of time, you know that we care about you, we care about your marriage, and ultimately we care about the way that God intended you to experience freedom in life and in marriage. And so we are dedicated to bringing you the team of counselors and writers and speakers who have varied experiences and wisdom to offer you a full, varied uh, lens and um, wisdom so that you can do that. And I'm going to be honest, this episode, actually these next few episodes, this interview in general was not on my radar. I did not plan for it, but you're going to hear why we had this interview. I had to have it. And ultimately, I just know that this is going to bring so many of us freedom. My mind was blown as I was reading this book. And honestly, this author, this amazing woman of God is making a lot of ripples in the best way possible in the Christian sphere right now regarding sex and marriage. And again, I just, I pray, even if you don't feel like you have any issues with sex in your marriage, I pray that you share this with someone because you don't know who this might set free. And what she shares is just so good. And unfortunately, we now are in this place, but fortunate as well, but we now have to change the narrative. Knowing what we now know, we have the opportunity to change the narrative from of what it has been, but that requires us to actually get the word out. And so listen in to this interview with Sheila Ray Gregoire. Um, she is the face behind tolovehonorandvacuum.com, which was the largest single blogger marriage blog until she invited her own daughter, Rebecca, and other teammates. Joanna Sawatsky to join her. She's also an award-winning author of nine books, including The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and a sought-after speaker. So in their new research-based book, which you're going to hear all about, The Great Sex Rescue, The Lies You've Been Taught and How to Recover What God Intended, Gregoire, Lindenbach, and Sawatsky, they, they dig into the data existing research on evangelicalism and sexuality their extensive survey and focus groups, and the 15 most popular Christian resources on sex and marriage to help women discover what beliefs are holding their sex lives hostage and provide them with a roadmap to experiencing amazing, mind-blowing, great sex. Listen, we are going to dive into amazing topics that I didn't even realize were a part of our Christian culture that are hurting sex in marriage. Duty being one of them, believing that every man's battle will be with lust and porn. Uh, So many Christian messages that we are taught that are harmful, we're going to dive into and we're going to break this down into two different episodes because there's that much content in them. So let's dive in. Let's listen to Sheila and myself um, and the interview that we had. This is going to be part one and um, I'll close this part out at the end. Something that as a Christian leader, I think that we have to, you know, lean into is if we are truly wanting to seek truth and share truth, Mm -hmm. we have to be willing to engage and to, you know, really not be afraid to look at what is going on and look at the history, look at the, look at the messages that the church has been sharing. You know, is that true? Mm -hmm. It is that accurate? And is that 
God honoring? Is that truly the message that he wants us to have and carry with us? And so I'm just, I'm really excited because on a personal level, you know, this, this should cause all Christians to really think hard about what they have heard, you know, what the church has been telling them, what they've grown up thinking and all those things. But especially as, you know, Christian leaders, I think we should want to hear this. We should mm-hmm. want, we should not want to ignore what we are feeling, what women yeah. are saying, what men are saying, and their and their responses to what your research has shown. It should really cause us to lean in. And and so um I'm excited to chat with you because yeah. that's exactly what I always want to do is lean in and say like, is this what we've been sharing even as a you know as a ministry myself? is this God honoring and is it mm-hmm. truth? Because the goal is that we live in that freedom. So anyway, I'm just personally excited to chat with you. <laughs> yeah. And that was something that I had to deal with because, you know, like if I, if I can tell a bit of my story, can I do that before we get started? So oh, yeah. um, I, I began writing in the days when there were still magazines and the internet wasn't really big. So I'm, I'm old now. Um, and I just wanted something to do when my kids were napping when they were really small. So I wrote for a bunch of magazines. I had a couple of small books published and I wanted to do something more. And people told me I needed a platform, which meant I needed people who knew who I was. So in 2008, I began blogging. And I was a typical mommy blogger, um, parenting blogger, housework, all that sort of stuff. Didn't really know what I was doing. And I found that the more I talked about sex, the more my traffic grew. And so I kind of leaned into that. And I started, I talked a lot about sex. My first sex book was out in 2012, Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. Um, but when I when I started, I was really writing more just from my perspective, and which is great and all, except that my perspective isn't necessarily your perspective. And when it comes to sex, especially, all we have is our own perspective, because we've really only had sex with a lot of us who are Christians have really only had sex with one person, we don't know, (laughs) like, what it's like for other women. Um, And so I started to listen to the comments on my blog and I started to realize, oh, me talking about sex as if he's always the one who wants it all the time and I'm not is probably not helpful because while it might be true for many women, it isn't true for all. (laughs) And I started to realize that the way that we often approach things is really stereotypical. And so I wanted to do something which was more you know, scientific based. So I did a survey back in 2012, which which showed me some interesting things. Um, And then I kept writing about sex for years and years, years went by. And then two years ago, I sat down and I actually read a marriage book, which I know that that's weird, because I've been in this space for like 20 years. But I hadn't read a lot of books because I was really scared of plagiarizing. So I just assumed, hey, they love Jesus. I love Jesus. We're all saying the same thing. (laughs) And then when I read that book, I realized, oh, my goodness, we're not saying the same thing. And this is actually really bad. And mm-hmm. it scared me. It scared my team. We had, we had a long strategy session, and we just figured something's got to be done about this. So, yeah, that's why we did this huge survey, 20,000 women, to try to get to the, to the bottom of are there things that we're saying in the church that are hurting people? And, you know, I've said some of those things. And it's important that we just change. It's okay to grow and change. That's the beauty of it. I, I, you know, I read through, I mean, I, I mean, yesterday, I, I, I literally, I kept saying, I wish someone was recording me as I was reading the book yesterday. I was like, wow, wow, like, wow, because 
That's exactly it. I mean, my hope is that anyone listening is going to listen, read the book and really just lay that before the Lord, like, Lord, wow. Like, is it, is it true that everything I've thought or not everything, but maybe a lot of it Mm -hmm. has not really reflected your glory and your beauty in this and Mm -hmm. your creation and design and intent. And so, um, that's a good, healthy thing to do that. So again, like if your response listening and reading the book is like, Whoa, that's Mm -hmm. good. Like, I feel that that's like, there's freedom. That's the sound Mm -hmm. of freedom. Like, Whoa, Mm -hmm. that's so true. And I can, you know, I can see myself in that. And I have heard that and I felt like that. And anyway, so your book, let's talk about it. It's called the great sex rescue. Why, why does sex even need rescuing? Well, Let's talk about the number 47. (laughs) Okay. So, and if you remember nothing else from this podcast, people, I want you to remember the number 47. And basically, 95% of men almost always or always reach orgasm during a sexual encounter. Only about... Blew my mind. Blew my mind. This is is something that just blew my... Okay, I'll let you talk. This is just like, yeah, wow. Yeah, only about 48% of women do. So that's a 47 point orgasm gap. And when you ask couples, what are the biggest issues they have with sex? The number, the number one and number two issue. So top two are she doesn't want it enough and she doesn't think it's fun. So I just thought, you know what, if we can solve those two things, we've solved like the hugest problems. We haven't solved everything because there's a lot of marriages, like I said, where she's the one with the higher sex drive. (laughs) But sometimes the root reason for a lot of these problems is actually the same, even if the problem manifests itself in different ways. So let's solve the root stuff. Let's let's change the foundational issue, like issues that we have around sex as an evangelical culture. And then maybe we can we can solve a lot of the problems for everybody. Yes. And that's exactly, you know, what I found so fascinating is so often, which is exactly how we were connected. So often I think our response can be to a, you know, a number like that, a statistic like that, that you found through your research is, whoa, there's a 47%, you know, orgasm gap. Okay. Well then the, the solution is very simple, right? We can assume because of our perspective and our, you know, past experiences and everything that the, the solution is just very simple that, you know, maybe it's just a woman needs to get in the mood easier. She doesn't quite get it. I have, I don't have a problem with it or whatever that looks like mm-hmm. when in fact, let's go to the research and let's see what actually these issues are so that we can change the narrative around that. So tell us about, you know, because so many issues are talked through in the book, which I, again, cannot say enough about even the purity culture and everything that like modesty, my mind is blown, but what would you say is one of the most damaging of everything you found, like the, the most damaging widely held beliefs about sex and marriage? that the evangelical culture accepts, just, just accepts, like, what would you say is one of them? Yeah. So what we did in our survey was we asked women to rate their marital and sexual satisfaction first. So before we even asked them about any beliefs, so we didn't prime them or anything. We just said, how do you feel in your marriage? How do you feel about sex? And then we presented them with a whole bunch of different evangelical beliefs about sex and marriage. And we found there were four huge ones. There were other ones, but there were four huge ones that really impacted Um, orgasm rates, arousal rates, sexual pain rates, which is really important, Um, other stuff like that. But there is one overarching thing, and which I think connects them all. 
And I think it's really well summed up in a quote by Emerson Egerts from Love and Respect when he says, if your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. Talking about sex. And he explains that husbands need physical release just as wives need emotional release. I'm not quite sure what emotional release is. Like that sounds kind of weird to me, but whatever. (laughs) But it's this idea that men need sex and women don't. And men need it in a way that women will never understand. And so we think of sex as something that was created for men that women do begrudgingly or in order to get something else they really want, namely affection or emotional whatever. So for for women, sex is really secondary. It's not really that good for them. They don't really want it. It's not it's not a big thing. Whereas for men, it's all consuming. And I just wonder, like, do these guys even know like about self-fulfilling prophecies? Like, you know, (laughs) you tell women their whole lives, you don't really need sex. You don't really want sex. And then women get married. They don't like sex. And they're like, how come you don't like sex? Well, what do you expect? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I think it's fascinating because like you say, that overarching thing, if if that's all he needs, you know, I was chatting with a single friend uh, just the other day who said, you know, Amanda, why, why do you think I don't want to get married? And cause we were chatting about your book and I said, what do you mean? She said, well, if all he wants is sex, mm-hmm. how attractive is that? How attractive yeah. is marriage for me? And I thought, wow. Yeah. Because I think, I mean, what you hit on is so right on where, where, you know, as a evangelical church, if we're sending the message, not only that sex is, you know, everything for them. And it's, it's their need. It's not a need that Mm -hmm. we have as women. It's also setting us up to, you know, believe that, that that's going to be their number one struggle, right? Because that's also one of the huge Mm -hmm. messages we hear is that, um, and actually, you know, kind of concerning, because I feel like we're almost speaking that over our young men. Yes. Yes. That, Hey, wow. How disheartening is that? Like that, that sounds pretty awful. So you're, so my little son, like listening, is is hearing forever he's gonna have a problem with porn and lust really yeah. like really yeah. and for my daughter to hear that oh sorry honey like whoever you're with it's gonna be your battle too because he's gonna battle that forever it's just mm-hmm. heartbreaking so yes like so many messages and these beliefs like you're saying ingrained in us really affects how we as women enter into that mm-hmm. um and enter into that intimacy, which I also love just backing up. You talk about, you kind of open it up talking about intimacy mm-hmm. and you define sex. Can you talk about that? Um, yeah. Cause I think this is, yeah, this is something that, that we're often missing. So if I were to ask you, which I won't, but if I were to ask you, did you have sex last night? All right. Chances are you're picturing something very specific in your head that I'm asking. And what you're picturing is something like, you know, did he put his penis into my vagina and move around until he climaxed? Like that's sorry for being crass, but that tends to be the definition of sex that we have. And I call that intercourse, right? Like that is the act of intercourse. The problem with that definition is that she could be lying there making a grocery list in her head, you know, counting ceiling tiles, whatever. She could be lying there in emotional turmoil because her marriage is terrible and she's feeling used, or she could be lying there in actual pain and it would still count as having sex. Like her experience is completely irrelevant from our definition of sex. And that means that her pleasure 
is is irrelevant. Like it's a nice bonus, but it's not something which is intrinsic to our definition. And that's not the way the Bible talks about sex. Like it's not. I remember I was 13 years old um, and I was sitting in a wooden pew in our church with all of my preteen friends and the pastor opened the Bible to Genesis chapter four. And he read that verse, you know, and Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived a son. And of course, we all start laughing and the pew is shaking and my mother's giving me the look and, you know, the whole thing. Right. But we thought that was hilarious. Like God was embarrassed of using the real word. But when you look at the Hebrew for for that word, for to know, it's the same word that David uses in the Psalms when he says, search me and know me, oh God. And I think God is trying to tell us that sex isn't just physical. You know, it's this deep, intimate knowing. That's why God talks about his relationship with us in such sexual terms throughout scripture. You know, that Jesus is the bridegroom, the church is the bride. It's not a physical thing. I mean, it is, but it's not only a physical thing. It's this deep longing for intimate connection, to be completely and utterly one with someone. And so biblically, sex is intimate. It's about two people, meaning that both of you matter. You know, we also know biblically that sex is pleasurable. Song of Solomon, that's that's what the whole thing's pretty much about, right? So sex is intimate. Sex feels really good. And according to 1 Corinthians 7, sex is totally mutual. Everything that he gets, she gets too, and vice versa. So in the Bible, sex is this mutual, intimate, pleasurable thing. It isn't one-sided intercourse. And yet how much have women and men been told that you know, you need to submit to sex, you need to give him sex. <laughs> well, even the phrase give him sex doesn't make sense. If we think of sex as something which is mutual, intimate and pleasurable, it yes. should be something for both of us. Yes. Amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> and it, You're right. It's not the message. And I just have to say that again, I think that sadly, what I've seen just a little bit of is that what you just said can feel threatening. Yeah. You know, you have received backlash and you have received such, I'm, I'm saddened to see the response from Mm -hmm. male Christian leaders. Yeah. Rather than, whoa, again, this rethinking, has this been, is this God's design? It's almost as if it's a threat to their manhood maybe, or, or I don't, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but that's sad because again, the goal is beautiful, beautiful, like living out a marriage that glorifies and honors God. Mm -hmm. And, and honestly, both or both, both spouses can get what they both are desiring in a, in a God honoring, beautiful way. Um, And it's kind of confusing that, you know, why men wouldn't want to lean in and learn what women are trying to say um, Mm -hmm. and what you've learned about what the church has, how the church has framed this and taught on this. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I think actually men are really, really open to it. Like I have been so blown away by how many reviews on Amazon have been written by guys who just love the book. And we weren't really expecting that. Like we tried to write the book so that couples could read it together. So, you know, in the book, we have these check-ins where you can talk to each other. Love, 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 love. Oh yeah. my. When I started reading and I saw those, I was like, yes, this is amazing <laughs> because you're not only giving us information, 
you're giving mm-hmm. us actual tools to mm-hmm. practice and and, and ex- explore and like start the experience yeah. and start reframing it in a very practical way. So I love yeah, that. yeah. And then at the end of each chapter, we actually have explore together exercises where you can put it into practice. And so we we did put those in, but we honestly weren't sure what was going to happen. Like, is it mostly going to be women reading the book? But we found so many people telling us they've read it as a couple, which is so encouraging to us because that's what we we wanted. But I also want to say like, you know, so we did this survey of 20,000 women. And then we did focus groups with with a lot of women afterwards. And we did a lot of interviews so that we could get like the, the raw numbers, but we could also get stories and, and, and put flesh on the numbers. And what we heard over and over and over again, is that husbands quite often are awesome. <laughs> like it's not husbands that are necessarily the problem. Um, we talked to so many women who had gone into marriage with this whole duty sex mentality. Like I need to have sex or else he's going to watch porn or he's going to have an affair or he's going to struggle with lust. And so I need to have sex every 72 hours or he's going to be in temptation, battling, whatever. I think Emerson Egbert said he'll come under satanic attack. Um, However, praying wife said his eyes will get cloudy and he won't be able to focus. Like, you know, all of these threatening things if you don't give him sex every three days. But then when they sat down and actually talked to their husbands about it, their husbands were like, "Uh uh-uh, hold on a second. I don't ever want you to do something you don't want to do. Like duty sex is not what I want. What I want is for us to be totally engaged in this together. I want this to be something that's wonderful for you. So let's figure out how to unlock that. And that's what we heard over and over again from men is men do not want duty sex, but women are told that it is a duty. (laughs) So it's really difficult to get through that. I think the reason a lot of male evangelical um, or just the establishment isn't happy with the book is that we're taking on the biggest names in in marriage writing and it's just threatening to them. Um, But I do think men as a whole are actually really embracing the book, which is Really, I, I'm I'm so happy about that because guys just want their wives to have freedom too. They yeah. really do. <laughs> and and I think uh, again, it 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 starts with them as well. Just that reframing of okay, what is sex? What is what yeah. should this be? Because mm-hmm. again, if that's if they're told that's my biggest need, it's what I need. I need to you know mm-hmm. climax every time, and that's what this is about. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that, there's that rebuilding that narrative on both parts. So I love that. Yeah. My husband, um, actually our small group is probably going to be reading it and I want to, I want to buy a copy for all of our staff at our church. <laughs> we have a video, a free video study that goes along with it. If you haven't oh, got cool. that. Yeah. That's I'll have cool. to, give, I'll put the, I'll give you the link and you can put it in the description box. But yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. An That's eight week, awesome. eight week video study if you, with discussion questions. So yeah. Great. Yes. We mm-hmm. want that. Um, I love it. How about what is what one important topic did all the best-selling evangelical sex and marriage books in your study leave out? Yeah, this one's sad. This one I found heartbreaking. So for context, what we did after we did our survey, we identified what were the most harmful beliefs. We read a lot of other literature, scientific literature on what hurt sex. We created a 12-point rubric of healthy sexuality teaching. And then we looked at six iconic sex books in the evangelical world, and we looked at the 10 best-selling marriage books. We There were three marriage books that we excluded because they didn't talk about sex. So we had 13 evangelical books altogether, really best-selling ones. And not a single one of them had a robust conversation about what consent looks like in marriage. 
boundaries in marriage, I need to say boundaries in marriage did a really good job of talking about having boundaries of talking about how you might need to take sex off the table of talking about how you shouldn't manipulate or coerce someone into anything, but they didn't, they didn't sit down and say, but this is what it would look like in the bedroom. And this is what consent looks like in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they got the closest. They did, their, their book wasn't about sex per se. So, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect them to do that. So they got the closest, but the rest of them just didn't talk about it at all. And in fact, many of them had stories of marital rape without even calling it that. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. How do you define it then for those listening? So consent is the ability to say yes enthusiastically without threat. So if you are feeling like I need to have sex or else he's going to be grumpy, I need to have sex or else he's going to be mean to the kids. Like I got I got an email from a woman recently who said that her husband, she has to time when they have sex because if she wants a nice family day or if they need to have a good conversation about something, she needs to make sure he's had sex in the last 24 hours or else he's just too difficult to deal with. So if they're going to head to the beach on a Saturday, she has to have sex on the Friday night or else he just won't be nice at the beach. When you're getting into things like that, that's not consent. You may feel like, well, he's not forcing me to do anything. But you're not, if you're doing, if you're having sex in order to prevent him from doing something bad, then that's not really consenting. Right. Okay. Well, if you liked what we just talked about, you have no idea what's about to come. (laughs) There's so much more good that we talk about. And again, if you're just wondering, what book is this called again? It's The Great Sex Rescue, The Lies You've Been Taught and How to Recover What God Intended. That's our goal. We want you and your husband to be enjoying enjoying intimacy together as God intended. And so this message is super important. Again, the authors of this book, Sheila Ray Gregoire, Rebecca Gregoire, Lindenbach, and Joanna Sawatsky. So, so good. Again, um, The Great Sex Rescue. Oh, ladies, we're going to post that book in the show notes and we'll be back soon with part two of our interview. Hold on tight because it's just getting better with Sheila Ray Gregoire.